you have your Bible with you, find John chapter 6. We have a lot of ground to cover today because, I mentioned it last week, this is the longest chapter in John's gospel. And we only looked at the first third of it last Sunday. And so in the, in the time that we have to, to make our way through this whole gospel during the school year, fall and spring, we're going to have weeks like this where we have to cover a, a larger chunk than we normally would or ideally would have. So sometimes there's going to be weeks, this is one of those, where we're not going to be able to see every little detail of this passage in, in the end of John 6. And that's unfortunate because there is a lot here. But I do think that we're going to be able to think about the big picture of what John is aiming at and what he's trying to show in, uh, in this chapter about Christ. I said last week we looked at the first, when we, when we looked at the first 21 verses of the chapter, that, that is the feeding of the 5,000, the, when Jesus walked on water, I, I, I said, and we did, that we were going to talk about truth that was legitimately in those events and, and, and in, the, in those stories, truth that really is found there, an application that we really can draw from those. But I said last week, and I reaffirmed this week, that last week we weren't going to talk about the main point of those verses, um, because the main point of those passages that we studied last week are, are connected to and seen in and filled out by what Jesus says later in the chapter, which we're going to talk about today. Um, that is, uh, the, what Jesus says today in, in our passage today is going to fill out the fuller meaning of what when Jesus fed the 5,000 or when he walked on water. Uh, what, what he says in this chapter that fills those out is what he says twice, actually, in verse 35. And then and again in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, I want to just stop right here because uh, we, this, this is an important uh, sort of moment in the Gospel of John because um, we, we want to come away from this whole school year of studying through the Gospel of John. I want you to come away from it understanding a great deal more about John's Gospel. And this is a major piece to understanding John's Gospel because there are seven different I am statements in John's Gospel. You might call them because uh, there's two different kinds of I am statements in John's gospel. You might call this an example of a relative I am statement. He's saying I am relative to some other kind of imagery. I am the bread of life. He'll have seven different of those. This is the first of those. He'll say here, I'm the bread of life twice. He'll say in, in John 8 and 9, uh, I am the light of the world. He'll say uh, in John 10, he'll give two different I am statements. He'll say first, I am the door of the sheep. And later he will say, I am the good shepherd. Uh, in, John four, uh, in John 11, when, in the story of raising Lazarus from the dead, very famously Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, probably most famously, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then maybe uh, least known is John 15, I am the true vine. Those are relative I am statements uh, relative to some kind of imagery he gives. That's in contrast to absolute I am statements. We've already seen one of those here in chapter 6 and verse 20 when Jesus, when he came walking to them on the water, he said to them, I am, do not be afraid. Now, in, your, in our English translations, it says something like, it is I, or it's me, it's just me, you know. But he was saying more than that. He was just saying, don't be afraid, it's just me. He's saying, I am. 
taking the very name of God on himself when he said that. That's an, and it's not relative to any other, other kind of imagery, bread or a vine or anything. It's just absolutely true. I am. He'll say it again in John 8, 58, before Abraham was. I am. And he wasn't saying there, I'm just really, really old. He's saying, I am eternal God. This is a, to, so these, these I am statements are such an important part of the fabric of John's gospel as a whole, we don't need to just blow by it, especially when we come to this first one. We don't need to, to um, just breeze right on by it to look at other details in the passage. We need to consider carefully what John intends us to teach us, intends to teach us in these I am statements. So with that, let's read our passage together. It's a little long. That's okay. Simply reading the, the scriptures out loud together may be the most important thing that we do when we gather. That's why Paul told Timothy, do not neglect the public reading of scripture. So it's clear on its own. Holy Spirit always speaks in it. So John chapter 6, follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 22. We're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, almost 50 verses. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea. Uh, who, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do? It's amazing that they asked that. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, 
Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone ha has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have, no, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is, tr is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the, Father, as the, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying, and who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. That's remarkable. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the Simon son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. There's so much here, Lord, so much more here that, that we can talk about this morning. So I trust and happily trust that that by the mere reading of it, your Holy Spirit was active in our hearts and minds to, to bring the truth to bear, convict us of our sins, draw us closer to you. I pray, Father, that, that, uh, that as we dwell on your word for a few minutes this morning, that you would give us eyes to see the truth that's, that, that we can see here. Give us minds to understand what you would have us to understand. 
hearts to embrace and love this truth. Love you, not just the truth that it, about you, but love you in the truth. And wills to obey what you call us to do. Would you please give me the help that I need to teach and give us all ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is such a, a, a rich, rich chapter. I mean, like, it has so much to teach us. I mean, so much here that, that we're just going to have to leave on the table. Um, it would be worth your combing carefully back through this on your own time. And if you have questions, come ask me about it. But it has so much to teach us about the sovereignty of God in and over the salvation of his people. It has a hard saying of Jesus. Many stopped following him. His closest disciples persevered with him. The fact that he knew that Judas was going to betray him and who those among his disciples were true believers from the very beginning. And just so many details and so many connections to earlier Old Testament passages that we'll say a little bit about. But we're going to cover as much as we can. We're going to give the greatest focus to the climactic statements of this chapter, which are the two times that he said, I am the bread of life. So here's, here's how I want us to think about what Jesus says. First, I want us to say something about the background of, of, uh, to what he says here. The fact that he calls himself the bread of life. Um, is that just out of the blue? Is that something that he just willy-nilly came up with and leaving them to figure it out? Or is there some sort of background and, and baggage that comes with that, that, uh, that title that he gives himself? I think so. And I think the background of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, I think the background of that is huge for our understanding of what's going on. So first, the background. And then secondly, I want us to say something about the significance of that imagery um, that he gives in that title the bread of life. I don't want to just think you, I don't want to just use that phrase, I am the bread of life, as a springboard to think about what the Old Testament says. I also want to just look at that imagery. He could have, he could have used all sorts of different imagery to describe himself, even in John's gospel, even those that had uh, Old Testament background, but he chose seven different things to describe himself. This first one being bread. And so what is the significance of the fact that he just uses this imagery of bread to describe himself? Those are, that's, that's what I want to think about, just those two things, background and significance, and then we'll have some time, hopefully, hopefully, at the end. Let's, let's think first about the background. So like I said, we would be remiss if we didn't give our, the vast majority of our attention to this I am statement that he makes not once but twice. It's important to do this because not only does he repeat it, any time when you're studying your Bible and you see words or phrases or ideas repeated more than once, that's a real red flag to stop here, think about this, notice this. Um, and not just because we're going to see that it's rich in Old Testament um, uh, truth and undergirding, but also because it, it, like I said last week, these statements give us the the ultimate significance of the two signs that we looked at last week, earlier in the chapter when he walked on the water and when he certainly when he fed the 5,000. So there are two basic things about the background that I want us to see. They're not complicated. They're very straightforward. Um, and they're, there's, you know, you're, you're not going to be surprised when I say what they are. Uh, first is I want us to see this sign or this saying in terms of what it tells us about who Jesus is who he is, and then secondly, what he was claiming to do. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what is it telling us about who he is, 
who he's claiming to be, and then also what he was claiming to come to do. Those are simple truths, but it, it is precisely that simplicity uh, through which the Spirit speaks to us uh, the truth that is, as it is in Jesus. So who he is, who he, what he came to do. So here's the first thing. And to begin to see it, we need to be reminded again of something about the Gospels when we study the Gospels for ourselves. That you should not ever just look at any given story of the Gospel. You should never just look at it in isolation. Like just plucking a story out of the Gospels and just looking at it without context of all that is around it. I mean, we sort of did that last week when we looked at the 5,000, feeding the 5,000, walking on water. We primarily looked at it without reference to the rest of the chapter. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You can find good truth doing that. But if you only do that and never look at the surrounding context, you're going to miss probably the most important thing about whatever story it is that you're looking at. The gospel writers did not just willy-nilly string their uh, their gospels together. They arranged these stories or arranged a teaching section of Jesus where Jesus was teaching about a certain thing right beside a story that illustrates that very thing. They would arrange their gospels in a way that the way they're not just what each thing says, but the way they are strung together teaches us something about, about the Lord. And, and, and sometimes it has a huge impact on how you understand something. And we see that here. Because we're talking about Jesus claiming to be the bread of life. And to that end, as we've already hinted at very strongly, what is the first story in this very chapter in John 6? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Feeding them what? Yes, fish, but mainly bread. Had more bread than fish, right? Feeding them bread. And this is something, I think I mentioned this last week, this is the one miracle, one sign that is found in all four Gospels, right? And the three of the four Gospels, called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Synoptic because they, they're so similar to one another. John is a little different than the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all call this, the feeding of the 5,000, a miracle. And it was. John, all throughout his Gospel, maybe never uses the word miracle. He may, may a time or two. Never used the word miracle, but instead uses what word? Sign. This was a sign that Jesus did. And what, what is significant about the fact that, G, that John calls this a sign? Because John wants you to know that as much as this was a miracle, this is not just something that you should be amazed at, but that in your amazement, it ought to point you as a sign would to some greater truth. And, and for the original recipients of that sign, the feeding of the 5,000, if it did not immediately point them uh, to the deity of Jesus, at the very least, it should have pointed them back in their minds, back to the Old Testament, specifically to Exodus chapter 16. Um, back to that, that passage in particular where uh, in that passage specifically, God provided manna from heaven every day for 40 years while the people wandered in, in the desert. I, we don't have time to do all this. There are so many links between John 6 in this story and Exodus 16 and the feeding of the and, and, and manna from heaven. I mean, you have, no, you don't only have the multiplication of the bread, the miraculous feeding itself, but you have uh, all this whole neighborhood 
of Exodus. You know, they were delivered out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. Then the manna was provided, and you have Jesus walking on the water, right, and then providing the bread. You have that link. You have the people grumbling against the Lord in at Exodus 16. You have the people grumbling against Jesus in John 6. There's just so many um, ties to these. It, you just cannot not connect these two passages and see what you can learn. And just as an aside, so we're talking about the manna from heaven. Just as an aside, I've said this before, but it's always worth saying. When he rained down, when God in the Old Testament rained down uh, from heaven this manna, they had no idea what it was. It was just all over the place. And they couldn't save it. They couldn't save it for the next day. It would, it would ruin. But daily, there was a new batch all over the ground of this stuff. They had no idea what it was, so they called it manna, which in Hebrew means, what is it? They had no idea. They, just, they called it, hey, there's a new batch of what is it on the ground. It's manna. But the second thing in Exodus 16, verse 31, it says that this what is it tasted like wafers made with honey. And so when I'm, until proven otherwise, I'm convinced it was golden grams. Uh, but back to the story, the sign of Jesus multiplying, we'll just go back to John 6, the, the sign of Jesus multiplying the bread to feed at least 5,000 people, it's probably more, it's 5,000 men, should have at least caused to Jew, a Jewish crowd, should have caused that event in Exodus 16 to cross their minds. And if you look if you were looking and listening carefully to the text, it seems that it did. They, they look at Jesus in verses 30 and 31, if you're looking at your Bible, and they say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? Our fathers ate the manna. So they're, they're thinking, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What sign do you do? It's an amazing question. He had just done one. I mean, he had just miraculously fed 5,000 people with just a little bit. I mean, I suppose some may have walked up late to that event and didn't know what had just happened. Oh, sweet, bread, I'm hungry. And they didn't know where it came from, but especially if somebody was sitting near the front and they saw this little boy who had a piddly little amount of fish and bread that was then miraculously sufficient to feed the multitude, at, you know, at the very least... Um, what sign do you do? Uh, it, it did remind them of, of the fact that God in the Old Testament did something similar for the people of Israel. After he delivered them out of Egypt, it's going to be important to this background. But on the other hand, in looking at Jesus' answer to them in verse 32, it could have been that they did see Jesus, uh, that he did something miraculous, but they didn't get it, they didn't get the they didn't get it because of the significance, because they totally misunderstood what happened in the Old Testament. Here's what I'm trying to say. Notice in verse 32, look, notice what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true, the true bread from heaven. Did they think that Moses provided that for them? I mean, at least in this day, maybe not in Moses' day. Well, I mean, it, Seems that way. It's what Jesus said. If he felt necessary to tell them, it wasn't Moses who did this. If, if so, they could have been thinking, okay, Jesus, so what if you fed us for a day? 
Moses fed us for 40 years, right? Jesus corrects them that, that, that Moses did not provide that manna, but even if he did, they got hungry again. To which Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That Old Testament manna in Exodus 16, as miraculous as it was, was just an earthly and a temporary picture, a small thing pointing to a greater reality. Food miraculously showing up on the ground every day for 40 years was a small thing compared to the greater thing that it was pointing to, to a heavenly and an eternal reality that was to come. Jesus said, that's me. I am. I am the bread of life. So in, in, in Jesus, it wasn't just another temporary need being provided for, but rather it was, it was God himself manifesting himself and coming for our eternal salvation, right? Which gets to the second part of this background, not just who he is, in saying, I am this bread. I am the one providing for you now. I, he's linking himself to not Moses who provided for you. It was God who, is, who provided for you in the Old Testament. And I am that now for you. I am God. That's one thing. Who do, in Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, who is it saying he is? It is saying he is in human flesh, God himself. But the second part of the background here is important. The first being that it should point us back to who Jesus is, namely God himself. The second, when did this happen? In Exodus 16, when did this happen? Um, yeah, or when did it happen here in John 6 as well? When this, this, this whole um, conversation in John 6 is, is another part where we go back to what we looked at last week, but didn't spend much time on, on purpose, but saved it to this week. Remember how this chapter began? Look, at, look beginning in verse 1, and let's read verses 1 through 4. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. There's another, there's another link to Exodus because Moses went up on the mountain by himself, Jesus going up on the mountain by himself. And he sat down with the disciples. And that, verse 4, now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was at hand. So this whole conversation was going on during the Passover feast. It was at hand. We did mention last week that this is the second of three Passovers in John's gospel, right? And, and, and something significant happens at each one. At the first one, uh, he's driving out the sacrificial animals and the money changers and saying, I'm the sacrifice for the sins of the world. You see the second one here, and the third one, he himself is going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world, right? Um, that's true here. It, anyway, if the first aspect of the background is showing us who Jesus is, namely, in the miraculous feeding of the bread of the multitude, he's showing himself to be in human flesh the very God who miraculously provided manna to the people in the wilderness. The second aspect of this background is showing us what he was coming to do, uh, it is not insignificant that this, this is happening and Jesus is saying that all of this during the Passover. Um, John doesn't always tell us what feast it was. He'll tell us often that a feast was happening, but he doesn't always say what feast it was that was happening, right? We saw something like that happen in chapter 5 
when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. It tells us in that story that, there, that a feast of the Jews was at hand, but he doesn't tell us which one. And if, if it doesn't tell us which one, it doesn't really impact the story. But whenever John does point it out, we're going to see this again later when it's the Feast of Booths and, and other, other fe- feasts of the Jews. When John points out which one it was, it, it was that is important. And it's going to import meaning into this text, right? Legitimately so. Um, and it's worth pausing and reflecting on the significance that it adds here to the present story. What did and what does still the Passover remember? And what does it commemorate? It commemorates and remembers God's miraculous delivering the people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, from, they had been slaves for 430 years, and God brought them out with a mighty hand. Again, he brought them out through the Red Sea, which is mimicked in Jesus walking on the water here. Um, but it is, it is part of that deliverance. It's part of that. He led them out, led them through the water in the wilderness, now feeds them the bread. It's, it's, it's part of that deliverance that the Lord provides that manna. Those events aren't unrelated in the Old Testament, in Exodus, and are part and parcel of the larger story of that salvation. And so they are connected here again in, in John. When Jesus fed the 5,000 and he told them, I am the bread of life, um, he was not only saying, I am God in your midst, he is also signaling that, signaling that he had come to accomplish for real and forever something that the Passover feast was only faintly foreshadowing. Another exodus, a a, a greater deliverance of his people. The other gospels say the same thing. In the very first gospel, very first chapter of the very first gospel in Matthew 1, 21, the angel announced to Joseph that Mary was going to have a baby. And what what were they going to name him? Uh, They said they were going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he was going to save his people from their sins. How? How would Jesus do that? Through his death on the cross for sinners? When did his crucifixion take place later on? During the Passover. And we've pointed it out many, many times, and I'll do it again and again. I don't want you ever to forget it. How does Luke in his gospel, how does Luke in Luke chapter 9 describe what was going to happen when Jesus went to the cross? This is Luke chapter 9, it's in the same chapter as the transfiguration. And uh, Moses and Elijah are there. And in verse 31 of Luke chapter 9, we're told that Jesus spoke with them, with Moses and Elijah. He spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Isn't it strange? It, he, talk about his departure. We don't usually talk in terms of accomplishing a departure right? That's strange. But it, in fact, the word translated departure there in Luke 9, 31 is the Greek word exodus, right? He, and that makes more sense. He was about to accomplish another exodus on the cross, right? Through his death and resurrection. Jesus is saying here that he is the bread of life, bread which would come to symbolize in the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament Passover in the Lord's Supper. The bread would come to symbolize his body being broken for our sins, his life given for ours. He said this on the Passover to remind us of a past deliverance of God, but he was saying it to point to his death which would take place on the Passover later on. And it would be a greater deliverance 
than the first exodus ever could achieve. We would be delivered from our sins, not any kind of earthly bondage, and from the terrible judgment of the wrath of God. Which is why later in this passage, Jesus applies the truth of this statement saying in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, I am the bread of life, who looks on me and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise it up on the last day. And don't miss the urgency of it in this passage. You cannot miss almost the urgency in this passage. Not only does he say, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son believes in him should have eternal life. He says a few verses later in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. He'll say it in verse 63. Look, look at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. He'll say it again two verses later in verse 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Jesus is talking about ultimate realities. He's talking about eternal things. And that is teaching you at the very least, we cannot put Jesus off until we feel like it. Because we may never feel like it. Right? We, we, don't, put, we don't put that desire in our own hearts. God does. No one can come to the Father unless the Father grants and draws and the Spirit gives life. That is John 6, words on the page. So as I said a couple of weeks ago, if you have even the faintest, the faintest desire in your heart uh, to, to, for Christ, then follow Him with all your heart, right? And this is the same urgency when you share the gospel with other people, right? The urgency is not just that we don't know the hour of our death. That implies, if that's the only urgency we have, that I don't know when I'm going to die, that still implies that any time between now and then, whenever that is, I have control over what I do. It's not true, right? The urgency is not just that we don't know the hour of our own death. The urgency is we cannot control our own hearts. The Lord does that, right? To draw us to Christ without which we cannot come. The background of this passage shows us that when Jesus said he was the bread of life, he was God in their midst to provide the salvation only faintly pictured but certainly promised in the Old Testament. And that salvation found only in the Son is greater than what was pictured before because where in the Old Testament we couldn't change our own hearts to become obedient to the law, so now we cannot change our own hearts to come to Christ, but now the Father draws and the Spirit gives life to come to Christ when, who, who kept the law for us. That's a beautiful salvation. And don't think just because Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, don't think that he's only drawing a few. Right? Jesus told Abraham, go out and look up at the stars and see if you can count them so shall my offspring be. He's drawing many, but it still doesn't change the truth that unless he draws, you cannot come. So if he's drawing, come. There's one more thing I want to say quickly about this statement, the significance of this I am statement, the significance of it. Here I, I simply want to point out 
that the very, of all of these I am statements, just the I, the, we've already seen one absolute. When he comes walking on the water, I am. Don't be afraid. But the very first relative I am statement of all these images he, he presents to you is it's the image of bread. It's bread. And don't miss, so don't miss the most, you don't have to be a deep theologian sometimes to understand these things. Why bread? Because it's something that's meant to fill you up. You're hungry and it satisfies your hunger. Right? Jesus doesn't just want to forgive, he wants to satisfy. He doesn't just want to forgive. He wants to satisfy. That's why he said in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. If anyone thirsts, let him come. He says in verse, excuse me, verse 35, uh, I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Right? Whoever believes shall never thirst. He came to satisfy he presumes that we're hungry and thirsty. Here's our problem. We don't always feel that way. Oftentimes, we feel far more satisfied with other things than we do with Jesus. I know that is true in my own life far more than I would like to admit. Why? Why is this a constant battle in our hearts? John Piper said in his book, A Hunger for God, which if you haven't read it, I commend it to you. One of, the best, one of the best statements in that whole book to me is this one. And he said, if you, don't feel, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. And it can be awakened in you through reading and thinking deeply on His Word and, and doing and obeying what He says. And as Jesus said in John 6, it is the Spirit get, who gives life. As I read, Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see. It's what we pray for every time we open the Word together. Give us eyes to see. Give us heart, minds to understand and hearts to embrace and love and wills to obey. That's our prayer every time. It can be awakened. Why wouldn't God answer that prayer? It's a beautiful thing. Jesus didn't just come as God to earn a salvation that, 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 that is accomplished through our forgiveness, through the giving of His life, but He came to satisfy us in Him.